0: So tonight's reading is Psalm 62, which you'll find on page 579 of the Church Bible. Truly my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from him. Truly he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I shall never be shaken. How long will you assault me? Would all of you throw me down? This leaning wall, this toppling, f- tottering fence. Surely they intend to topple me from my lofty place. They take delight in lies. With their mouths they bless, but in their hearts they curse. Yes, my soul, find rest in God. My hope comes from him. Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress and I shall not be shaken. My salvation and my honour depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. Surely the low-born are but a breath, the high-born are but a lie. If weighed on a balance, they are nothing, together they are only a breath. Do not trust in extortion or put vain hope in stolen goods. Though your riches increase, do not set your heart on them. One thing God has spoken, two things I have heard. Power belongs to you, God, and with you, Lord, is unfailing love. And you reward everyone According to what they have done. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Well, thank you, Pippa, very much indeed for that reading. Uh, It may be that you would like to slake your thirst at this point, so if anyone wants to go and get a glass of water, now is the time. Right, I think I need to move this. Right, let us bow our heads and pray. Lord Jesus, we praise you for your mighty power. We praise you for all that you can be to us, especially in days when we face difficulties and problems. Now, Lord, we pray that you will teach us to trust in you, and experience your delivering power for the glory of your name. Amen. Well now, I hope your Bible is still open uh, at Psalm 62, which we are studying together tonight. Now, this Psalm 62 is uh, a psalm for people under pressure. So if you've had a really tough week or if uh, the weekend has been very tricky, well obviously I'm sorry if that was so, but uh, if you've experienced difficulties of one kind or another, let me encourage you to look for help here in Psalm 62. I mean the fact is that sometimes life can be a real struggle, can't it? Uh, Best not to pretend that it never is. If people imply that sort of thing, they're not telling the truth. Life can be uh, a difficult business and a painful business. I remember a Christian friend uh, who some of you might know. His expression for going through tough times was being under the cosh uh, implication that uh, God, the Lord, is wielding the kosh mm. and we are under it. I remember he came in one after one weekend had been particularly difficult and started to regale us with his tale of woe. The boiler had broken down, this was winter. So there was no central heating and they were frozen in the house. The car had crashed, I don't know exactly how. Uh, he was facing illness in the family. And as if that wasn't enough, the internet had been interrupted. Well, we don't know precisely uh, what David's circumstances were in Psalm 62. It tells us something at the top of the page, at the top of the uh, Psalm there, where it says, for the director of music, for Jeduthun, a Psalm of David. And that's all that the the superscription, as it's called, that's the writing above the psalm there, uh, that's all all it's got to tell us. Um, And I remember reading this and thinking, oh yes, well, Juddathan, I mean, who's Juddathan? It probably doesn't tell us anything about Juddathan and uh, I think we can safely forget about Juddathan. And uh, that was my view until yesterday morning. I thought, well, maybe I ought just to check that uh, Well, I'm right in what I've just said about Judothan. I mean, I might be completely wrong, and then I'm going to look a complete idiot. So I looked him up, and I discovered that there are uh, 13 references to Judothan in the Old Testament. Let me just read you one of them. This is one, don't turn to it. This is 1 Chronicles chapter 16 where we learn that Judothan was part of the ministry of the temple. And it says here that with them were, there's various other people, were Heman and Judothan and the rest of those chosen and designated by name to give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. Heman and Judathan were responsible for the sounding of the trumpets and cymbals and for the playing of the other instruments for sacred song. See. Uh, Judothan was evidently a member of the music group and he would meet with the others each week and they'd plan the services and decide which choruses they particularly wanted to have. Uh, So Judothan is someone whom the Bible knows about and it's interesting to see him mentioned there in Psalm 62. These uh, superscriptions, as they're called, these uh, words at the top of the psalm, uh, they may or may not be accurate. And they may or may not tell us about David's circumstances. Uh, so this one, in fact, if you look just across the page to Psalm 63, this tells us rather more about uh, David's circumstances. It says a psalm of David when he was in the desert of Judah. And that may or may not be the accurate uh, situation of this psalm. Uh, These superscriptions are not regarded as scripture, whereas David's word under God has God's authority. So we're going to trace David's thoughts and teaching through this psalm, Psalm 62, that is, not Psalm 63, uh, and then draw out some points to take home for further thought. This psalm seems to be written in couplets, That's sort of two at a time verses. So we'll take them in that way and two at a time and see how we get on. And uh, I've got a heading for each of these couplets. The first is God can be trusted. God can be trusted. That is Psalm 62 verses 1 and 2. I'll read them to you. Truly my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from him. Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I shall never be shaken. Now, I love the way in which David gets straight into the main message. No hanging about. He has got a message to share with them, which relates to his own experience. Uh, He may well have been going through a hard time, but he is conscious that God has not abandoned him. He is absolutely trustworthy. And that's why David says, He is my uh, salvation. My salvation comes from Him. He is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. Those are terrific words, aren't they? For expressing the Lord's protection of His people. If we're Christian believers, these words are true for us in Christ. And we can be confident of them. And they are wonderful words. I mean, to know that we have one who is a rock, we stand on the rock uh, that, that he brings us his salvation given to us freely through faith and that he is a fortress and we'll not therefore be shaken. We need to know this, dear friends, don't we? Even if we don't think so on a, a Sunday evening like this. We think the week will be fine. I'm sure it will. I'm sure you'll have a good week and and I hope I may do too. But but, uh, what really matters is the security that we have in Christ and the source of that security from God himself. So verse 1, my soul finds rest in God. Uh, My salvation comes from him. It's all from him, and the glory is his alone. He is my rock and my salvation. I don't know whether you noticed that little word, my. Uh, It's easy to miss, but it's highly significant. I mean, my transforms what you're talking about from something that might in general apply to pretty well everybody to something that specifically applies to God's people through his word. And it is, of course, the meaning here is the latter, specifically which applies to God's people. Twelve times it comes in Psalm 62, and five times in verse 1. So we could hardly miss it. My soul, my salvation, my rock, my salvation. We've had that once already. Uh, my fortress. Well, five or four or five, anyway. Uh, And it makes it personal for us to say that, doesn't it? The fact is, this is my testimony, the Lord is my rock, the Lord is my salvation, and I'm sure of it. I remember hearing a story many years ago, it's not the the right season to tell it, unfortunately, because this was winter in the mountains of Scotland, and those who have been up there at that sort of time of year know that it can be exceedingly cold. and gentlemen uh, were in the habit of taking a a service uh, in a small uh, hall somewhere out in the highlands. And uh, one evening a a boy wandered in and joined the uh, service. It was warmer in there than it was outside and he wanted the warmth. And the people, the two men, Uh, were leading, and in preaching, they were preaching on Psalm 23. And they said, look, we want to make this personal so you really understand it. Uh, When I number off the fingers, you do the same. So, the Lord is my shepherd. I don't know if you noticed how I pulled that one down. So, the Lord, we could all do this. The Lord is my shepherd. And he said to them, now look, when you do this, when you you remind yourself of that verse and you number off the the words, uh, when you get to my shepherd, hold down the finger, the fourth finger of your left hand with your right hand. The Lord is my shepherd. Well, the service broke up and they all went home and uh, they sort of made their way through the snow and ice and a few months later on, however long it takes to get warm in Scotland, let's say three months, I don't know if it could be four or five, um, these two gentlemen were walking again through the uh, fields and they, um, they came across something in the, on, on the ground and they went over to look at it and they realised it was a body, the body in fact of this boy who had turned up at the evening service. And they noticed that this wasn't just anybody dumped down, but as they looked, they saw that the boy's right hand was holding down the fourth finger of his left hand. And they concluded with joy that this boy had found that Jesus Christ was with him in his dying moments. And in those dying moments, the Lord had not abandoned him, but the Lord is my shepherd. So, God can be trusted. That's the first point. Second point, facing up to pressure, verses 3 and 4. How long will you assault me? Would you, all of you, throw me down this leaning wall, this tottering fence? Surely they intend to topple me from my lofty place. They take delight in lies. With their mouths they bless, but in their hearts they curse. Now David is conscious that there is a lot against him. And he knows that because of the way in which these people are talking about him. I mean, this expression, this tottering fence, uh, not very complimentary, is it? That's verse 3, this tottering fence. And... uh, Verse four, topple me. Tottering fences easily get toppled. And, um, well, just a little reminder, actually, that you you want to be careful when you're out walking in case you come across any tottering fence because uh, a tottering fence is quite dangerous. You can't put your weight on a tottering fence. If you do, you may well fall over and the uh, tottering fence will trip you up even as you try to get over. So a tottering fence is a fairly vicious thing and some here may know they've been tripped up by fences and they uh, are learning to uh, be careful about them. So um, all this is aimed at David. You see how it says, verse 3, How long will you assault me? And verse 4, Surely they intend to topple me from my lofty place. In other words, they want David's position as king. They want to boot him out of the uh, palace and say, we've had enough of you, David. It's high time you went. I'm gonna resist drawing any, any allusion time. whatsoever to the activities of elections in our country. But uh, in David's day, you see, these people are pretty vicious. Uh, in taking the line that they are taking, they are, of course, opposed to the purposes of God and uh, seeking to bring David, the Lord's servant, down. And they want that position for themselves. Well, what are they like? They have no interest in the truth. Rather, verse 4, they take delight in lies. That's pretty serious, isn't it? But let's be honest, this, this... you can draw parallels from this into our own day, even amongst those who are in the visible church. Not interested in truth. They take delight in lies. Uh, their mouths do one thing, and their hearts do something else. Did you notice that? It came over in the song. You know, I thought it was a lovely song, incidentally. In fact, I thought it was so good, I didn't really feel I needed to preach. Um, but, uh, Yeah, this came over very well. Mouth doing one thing, heart doing another. With their mouths they bless, but in their hearts they curse. And falseness among the people of God is a real trial. And yet David had to face it possibly for the majority of the years that he uh, was king. Point three, repeating the message, verses five and six. Yes, my soul, find rest in God. My hope comes from him. Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I shall not be shaken. Now, what's happening here is that David is taking himself in hand. I mean, if you were listening carefully to the uh, reading and indeed also singing that song, you may have picked that up already because verse 5 is an exact repetition of verse 1. My soul find its rest in God. My hope comes from him, except verse 1 has my salvation comes from him. But essentially what uh, is happening here is that David is talking to himself. He's taking himself in hand. Uh, He's telling himself, look, come on David, you've got to do what you said you believed in verses 1 and 2. You believe that... uh, your soul finds rest in God. Your salvation comes from him. He's your rock, salvation. He's your fortress, you so never be shaken. Believe these things. Then David, come on, that demands some activity from you. It demands that you actually trust the Lord and put that trust into practice. You must apply the message to yourself. Now, it's not that we can somehow save ourselves. Of course we can't do that. We all know that. But that by the grace of God, he does call us to live his way and in obedience, the obedience of faith, to put into practice the message that we have proclaimed. Uh, And uh, that is what we see very clearly in in these verses here because they are almost identical. And there are times, are there not, probably more frequent than perhaps we care to admit, when we're aware that actually we're not quite living the way the Lord wants us to. And we're not doing it because we are not concentrating on putting into practice what we ourselves have learned. And the testimonies that we have rejoiced in hearing and now are called to apply ourselves. That is uh, what the Lord wants us to do. And in order to get there, we, we need to take ourselves in hand. See, I mean, uh, we need to say, come on, I won't mention them in case anyone thinks I'm getting at them. But uh, by say, come on, John, get on with it. Pull yourself together. Um, You know what you should be doing. Give yourself to doing that rather than worrying about something else. And David laces this psalm with confidence. Uh, and we'll see that that, has, that is highly relevant to the people that he's uh, writing to, Jeduthun and co. Notice too, the statements in verses five and six, that they are parallel to each other. So verse 5a, verse 5a says, yes, my soul finds its rest in God. And that is parallel to 6a, which says truly he is my rock and my salvation. And 5b says, my hope comes from him. And 6b says, he is my fortress, I shall not be shaken. And the point is that these are parallel statements here. Uh, In fact, the pundits tell us that parallelism parallelism, is frequent in the Psalms. And we need to be aware of it if we're to understand them, that it's probably putting it like that, in that way, because in some way it's parallel to a... Uh, word in the psalm just slightly earlier. Anyway, whether or not parallelism is a concern of yours and that uh, you uh, are interested in it, we'll move swiftly on at that point. But it's the sort of thing that you'll pick up from commentators and people uh, who want to point out how the psalm is working. It serves to emphasize the message. Specifically here, my fortress I shall not be shaken. That's the second half of verse 6. And uh, that's what it uh, is emphasising, the fact that the Lord is our absolute security because he is our fortress. I don't know if you've been to any good castles recently. It's the sort of thing one does on holiday, isn't it? You think, oh, I must go, go to North Wales and go around Carnarvon and uh, there's another one, Conway. Um, and... Uh, you know, it's a good thing to do. I mean, in a wet day, it's not not a bad way of spending some time. Of course, these castles are somewhat out of date now, but when they were first built, they were formidable. They were awesome. And hence, they were uh, a, a good illustration for David, who is emphasizing the fact of his security in the Lord. Um... Of course, it's just worth saying that the castles in uh, uh, Wales must have been built roughly 2,000 or more years after the castles that David's talking about. It's just a little point. So uh, fourth point, trust in God at all times. This is verses seven and eight. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. Now you notice that David is still emphasizing his dependence upon God. This is the great thing that has struck him here. Uh, His soul finds rest not in anybody else or anything else, but in God alone. It's only... The Lord, who is the rock, uh, who provides him with this fortress. He is dependent on God, not on earthly things, things that the world tends to value, things like position, possessions, or one's status and persona, these sort of things. The question is, how does this compare with what God is saying through this psalm? See, David emphasizes the confidence that we can have in God through Christ and then addresses the congregation in verse 8. So verse 7 is uh, the fact of David's dependence and his salvation and his honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. And then verse 8, David then speaks to the whole group of Israelites, trust in him at all times you people pour out your hearts to him for god is our refuge i love that that middle phrase Uh, of course it's rightly surrounded by trust in him at all times the first one and the third one god is our refuge but that little phrase in the middle there pour out your hearts to him that's what we should be doing as christians that describes Praying as a committed Christian. We're not just going through a a, a sort of format, um, but as we come to pray, and this is really, I suppose, more when we're praying on our own than when we're praying together in, in a group. But as we pray on our own, we come to pray, and we should be pouring out our hearts to the Lord. For our hearts may well be full, may they not, Sometimes our hearts are a bit sort of stuffed and, and um, they're, they're really not much use. We need Then we need to confess that to the Lord and ask him to set us on fire again. But if we come to the Lord with full hearts, then uh, we should want to pour out our, uh, uh, our, our prayers to him. Um, and that is something both that we have to decide to do and also that as we begin to do, we can know that the Lord is listening and is hearing. Uh, it's a very expressive prayer, isn't it, in verse eight? This pouring out of your hearts to Him. Uh, it's it's informal, but it's life changing. And so I suggest and as I say to myself, it's high time I looked again at my own prayer list, my own prayer life. And I would encourage all of us to look at our praying, particularly our praying on our own, and ask the Lord to really set that praying on fire, that we may have great times of prayer, which the Lord will uh, richly bless. Trusting God at all times. Two more. Exposing the way of the world, verses 9 and 10. Surely the lowborn are but a breath, the high born are but a lie. If weighed on the balance, they are nothing. Together, they are only a breath. Do not trust in extortion or put vain hope in stolen goods. Though your riches increase, do not set your heart on them. Now, David here brings the truth to bear on what the world values so highly. Social position and their methods used to achieve it how much is this really worth god gives his opinion uh, or his assessment rather in verse 9 where he says of the highborn and then at the other end the lowborn if weighed on a balance they are nothing see even if you've got one of those modern Uh, Balances, which uh, have uh, various digital functions and uh, things that, what on earth do you call it? Anyway, um, uh, not the good old scales with the weights on them. David was probably thinking more of one of those. But uh, no, I mean, this might be the most sophisticated weighing machine, but it cannot give weight to anything other than what is put upon it. Then it will register. And in the same way, uh, we cannot try to impress God with various, of our, uh, various characteristics of our own lives. We're not going to impress God. Rather, we need to come to him seeking his forgiveness and grace because this, uh, um, th- th- this uh, position of these people uh, who are the highborn and opposed at the bottom end of the scale, the lowborn, but principally really it's the highborn that are in focus. If weighed on a balance, they are nothing, verse nine. Together they are only a breath. So there you are. That's the Lord telling us uh, how we should regard those mm-hmm. who imagine that their social position is extremely important. I'd just like to read to you from James chapter. Oh, right, wait a second, have I got it, why haven't I? No, I think I have... Oh, no, here we are. Right, it's chapter 2 and verse 5. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? And so forth. That was James 2, 5 and 6. And that is the point, that it's a very great mistake to sort of be wowed by the rich, for the rich are the very ones who persecute you. Um, And uh, Right, and back in verse 10, where it says, do not trust in extortion. See, this is one of the methods that they use to get rich. These people, they use extortion. They deal in stolen goods, it says. Again, in verse, Ten, Do not trust in extortion or put vain hope in stolen goods. Though your riches increase, do not set your heart on them. It's a very shrewd thing, that, isn't it, you see? Initially he talks about financial crime, but then it's just the increase of riches, um, which we all hope for until... In, uh, inflation came along and ruined any possibility of it. But um, uh, people sort of hope that, that riches will steadily increase and that they will become better and better off. And the problem with this, of course, is that if we do look uh, at finances in that way, uh, and we begin to find that they are increasing then they do have a real pull on us, and that pull is here in uh, Psalm 62, verse 10, the um, second half of that. Though your riches increase, do not set your heart on them. See, so that's the temptation. If uh, if our riches increase, we we get more and more interested. I mean, whereas before perhaps we were content with a fairly low standard, but now our riches are increasing and, and we, we want more and bigger and better and so on and so forth. Uh, and David is saying to us, even if, or not just even, if riches increase, when they do, uh, don't set your heart on them. John Wesley came received the same from the Methodist Church uh, over 30 to 40 years of life. And he went around, as we know, all over the country, preaching the word. He didn't have very many expenses. He received the money that was given to him or the money that was paid to him or whatever. Um, But he, and he saved it. Um, But he did not, regard his income as going up and up and up. On the contrary, uh, he took the view, as he has said, get all you can, save all you can, give all you can. And that was his attitude to money. Yes, he would get all that came to him. Yes, he would save what he could. But yes, he would give all he can. And we must have ways by which we can uh, counteract the pull of riches because this is very real, isn't it? If riches increase, don't set your heart upon them. And now the final section and that is uh, verses 11 and 12, uh, which I'm calling Where the Power Lies one thing god has spoken two things i have heard power belongs to god and with you lord is unfailing love and you reward everyone according to what they have done now verse 11 is memorable isn't it Uh, where he says uh, one thing god has spoken two things i have heard i mean it looks like a contradiction i mean can david not count why does he not know whether he's t- telling us one thing or two? But this isn't a contradiction, rather it's a confirmation of the statement that uh, power belongs to God. It's like saying, I heard it once, I heard it twice. The word of God is sure. He's wanting to get them to see that he has every reason for, the, uh, for what he uh, believes and is teaching them. You see, power does not belong to the grasping rich uh, who seem so well off, but who actually are just a vapor, meaningless smoke. Remember Ecclesiastes? Uh, Well, that's what these rich are. No, power belongs to God. He relates to his power in love, which is a a lovely bit here, the the latter part of verse 12, for uh, the Lord, with you Lord, is unfailing love, and you reward everyone according to what they have done. So power belongs to God, but he uses that power in love, not to push people around. and he is able to honor those who have honored him because he is the judge, and he rewards everyone according to what they have done. So let's be sure that we honor the Lord's people and that we're not drawn away by the love of money. Remember that power belongs to God. He really can deliver on his word. But when you're going through those tough times under the cosh, uh, remember, the Lord has a purpose in this. And he can see through to the other side. And he would remind us that truly my soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. Truly he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress, I shall never be shaken let's bow our heads and reflect and then i'll lead in prayer lord jesus thank you so much for this psalm and thank you for all the truth that it is and for what we've been able to look at today and we want to pray O oh lord that you will keep us dependent upon you, finding rest in you, able in your grace to defeat those forces against us, and not being drawn aside by the ways of the world, which sometimes can look so appealing. Rather, O Lord, may we live our lives for you day by day, because all power is yours. Power belongs to God. We praise you for it. Amen. Now, I did just say that I'd give you something to take home. Uh, And what I meant by that was that it would be nice to spend a bit more time when you have it, uh, considering these issues in perhaps a more practical way. So I got three questions that uh, we could consider. One is uh, the question about our worldview, our whole approach to life an attitude to life, and what is actually going on in our world today, what is forming, what is forming your uh, world view at the moment? Second question, when you feel afraid, how do you react? And how might that relate to what David is saying here? When you feel afraid, how do you react? And then thirdly, how are we affected by money? Not a bad question for us to ask from time to time.